0: Thanks for tuning in to the Survival to Thrival podcast based on the book series with the same name. I'm Helen Croydon and I'm the interviewer of the biggest stars of the show, the two co-authors Tehi Norm and Bob Tinker. Tehi and Bob are a duo of investor and entrepreneur. They have a long history of working together and have written two books together aimed at founders and entrepreneurs striving to build enterprise startups. This podcast is based on the themes, advice, and real-world stories from their book series, Survival to Thrival. If you enjoy this, please like it, subscribe, or share it with your network. Welcome back to another episode of the Survival to Thrival podcast. Our previous episodes are focused on finding go-to-market fit and adapting it in a downturn. Well, we've had some feedback from listeners about the creating of the actual playbook to find go-to-market fit. What does it look like? How do you build it? And what are the pitfalls? Well, that's the focus of today's episode. So I'm joined with Tehi Nam and Bob Tinker, as always. So starting with you, Bob, what is the playbook? Can you just refresh everyone on that?
1: All right. A go-to-market playbook is how do you repeatably find and win customers over and over and over and over again? And... Uh, I'll tell you a mistake I made uh, when I first started learning about go-to-market playbooks back in 2008, 2009, 2010, is as a sort of product and technical founding CEO, I translated the term go-to-market playbook into a good PowerPoint pitch. A go-to-market playbook is not a good PowerPoint pitch. And uh, any good go-to-market executive will laugh at people like me back in 2008, 2009 that thought it was a PowerPoint pitch. The go-to-market playbook is actually the recipe for your sales team, for your marketing team, and frankly, the entire company, to what do you do to find and win customers over and over and over and over again?
2: One other thing I'd like to add about the go to market playbook is is that it's not meant to be like a 30 or 60 page Bible, but in order to be executable, it should be like something that fits on the whiteboard, maybe one or two pages. And the target audience isn't really just for the board of directors or the executive team or new investors, but it's uh, for the newest employees. So when they come on board, they know exactly what they need to do in, in connection with the overall go-to-market strategy.
0: Tehi, thank you for that. That's very useful. Now, Bob, I just want to return to you quickly. Can you remind listeners just why having a go-to-market playbook is so important?
1: So in the early days of finding go-to-market fit, there's a lot of experimentation that goes on, like, try this, try that. What about this ideal customer profile? What about this way of generating leads? What about this way of engaging with customers? And there's a ton of experimentation and sort of the, uh, you know, the the classic metaphor for this is Davy Crockett sort of wandering through the woods, trying to find the path. Mm -hmm. And that experimentation is healthy. Like that is exactly the right thing to be doing. But What then happens is you start to find the path. And as you document that path, that actually starts to become the early part of your go-to-market playbook. So why it's important is the go-to-market playbook is actually the manifestation of this transition from experimentation to here's our path, this is what we do, this is what marketing and sales knows what to do in order to find and win customers over and over again. And uh, we discovered a really interesting sort of side effect um, beyond sort of marketing and sales in the early days of mobile iron is that once we got the playbook nailed down, that sort of identified the stages, what people would say in each stage and all the pieces that go into the go-to-market playbook, which we'll talk about in a little bit, it had a fascinating side effect on the company, which is that it aligned the entire company behind the go-to-market strategy because now everybody knew what to do. And uh, I think I underestimated, didn't really even sort of conceptualize just how important that is for everybody in the company to understand how what they're doing lines up behind the go-to-market playbook.
2: And also by uh, the go-to-market playbook, delivering repeatability is that with repeatability, you can get predictability. And and so you're able to predict what your go-to-market results would be. And also by delivering repeatability, you can have scalability. And so you now know how to scale your go-to-market as well.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Katie. It's like Once you get the repeatability down, the go-to-market playbook figured out that um, that's what drives growth. It drives the unit economics. And like I said, aligns the company. Um, it's really a unifying force for the whole go-to-market. I know I've used the analogy before that it almost becomes like the operating system for your go-to-market. I know that's Once we get into what actually is in a go-to-market playbook, I think that'll make more sense.
0: So this is your formula to unlock growth, essentially. What's it actually look like? I'm glad you asked that,
1: Helen, because that's, you know, we've talked a little bit about what it's not in terms of it's not a PowerPoint pitch. Let me verbally draw what a go-to-market playbook is sort of conceptually. So imagine the CEO, the head of product, the head of marketing, and the head of sales all in a conference room. And there's a whiteboard up on the wall. And you're like, all right, let's put our Go to Market Playbook draft up on the wall. So what what would that look like? What's the structure? The first piece is across the top needs to be the customer journey. From the first time you touch a customer to when you make them successful. And then under each stage of the customer journey, it has what does the company say or do? Could be sales, could be marketing, could be product at each stage to be able to advance the prospect through the customer journey. That's it. There's a lot to that. It's a lot harder to get done than it sounds like, but it's really those two core components. Now there's a couple key elements that need to be there in order to make it work. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that's really the structure.
0: So it's kind of a table format.
1: Yeah, actually, yeah. The table format tends to work the best. Like Tay, you said earlier, what it's not is like a 20-page Word document. That's a brain dump of everything anybody could say or do. It really uh, typically ends up in a grid. And it's, you know, one slide, maybe two slides max.
0: So do they all look pretty similar?
1: They do in general, but the content is um, very different in terms of sort of the visual structure tends to be the same. You know, the interesting part about this is different companies have very different customer journeys. You know, if you're uh, selling to mid-market customers or large enterprise customers, or you've got a product-led selling motion or marketing-led selling motion, the stages of the customer journey are uh, very different. And I think it's important to remember that the stages of the customer journey are not the Salesforce stages of forecasting and negotiation and things like that that come pre-populated from Salesforce. The key about the customer journey is to actually look at it through the customer's eyes about what stage the customer is at as they move from the first time they engage with you all the way through when they become successful
2: and that's what i found too is is that uh the hardest part that i've seen in um in building these go-to-market playbooks is uh agreeing with all the different parties within the company on the customer journey once you have that worked out it becomes much easier
1: you know an interesting i i work with one company uh here in the bay area and uh we started with the whiteboard and said, "All right, let's get the customer journey across the top," and had the key executives in the room. And it was interesting that each of the key executives, and they've been working together for three years, and you know, had probably gotten past you know two, three million dollars of ARR. When I asked them about their customer journey, each of them had a slightly different conceptualization what the customer journey was. Like it was like seventy percent the same, like thirty percent different. And that sounds like a minor difference, but It turns out that when you have like 0.7 times 0.7 times 0.7 times 0.7, you end up really only being like 30, 40% the same. And so imagine what it's like for the rest of the company to try and line up behind a go-to-market playbook when the three or four different executives in charge of driving go-to-market don't even have the same version of the customer journey they're operating against. Like just getting everybody aligned on what are the key stages of the customer journey Believe it or not, is a lot harder than it sounds, and it's super important.
0: Yeah. So, can you tell us who's involved in actually creating it? Who in the company?
1: Uh, So, one of the mistakes that sometimes happens is, oh, it's a go-to-market playbook. That's a that's a PowerPoint pitch. Marketing, go do that. Or, hey, it's just a sales thing. Sales, go do that. Uh, That's not the right answer. Go-to-market playbook actually is fundamentally cross-functional, in that uh, it involve sales, involves marketing and product. Because what needs to happen is all of those pieces need to come together to support each stage of the go-to-market playbook. And if it's really just driven by one team, you end up with a playbook that's just really for that one team. And is, you know, we know by looking at sort of really successful startups that unlock growth, it's actually when the three of those come together and find and win customers over and over again that it really unlocks growth. So it involves sales, involves marketing, involves product.
2: And the challenge here is getting these three parties to basically speak the same language. And that's why having the same customer journey is so important, because then um, they have the same framework for uh, analyzing their different points of views.
0: Thanks, Tehi. Okay, I've got a really good idea now of what a playbook looks like, can we drill down a bit into how we actually put it together? Bob, can you start us off on that?
1: So step one is get the right people in the room. So get your key folks that touch, go to market, product, marketing, sales uh, in the room together. Typically, sometimes with the CEO, sometimes not, but uh, it's often good for the CEO to be involved. And step one is agree on the customer journey. So across the top of the whiteboard, Really nail down what are those stages of the customer journey. And playbooks I've seen sort of have somewhere between like five and 10 stages of the customer journey. And again, the key here is to look at it through the lens of the customer, not what are your sales team doing. One of the big mistakes people make at this point is using the stages that come like pre-populated in Salesforce. Like it'll be like selection, negotiation, or qualification or prospect. Those stages have nothing to do with the customer. The key is to look at it through the lens of where the customer is in their discovery journey. Are they learning? Are they engaging with the product? Are they trying to get up to speed on their trial? Are they executing on the trial? The very beginning is being able to sort of identify who your playbook is pointed at. It's probably the most important thing to figure out first, which is who is the target of your go-to-market playbook? Who is the ideal customer profile or ICP? And what's the urgent pain? You know, this becomes sort of urgent wave. And actually, we probably should have talked about this first is your go-to-market playbook needs to be pointed at something. And for each go-to-market playbook, ICP and urgent wave really needs to be clear. Because if you don't have that, you're not really going to be pointing your playbook at a growth opportunity and it's not going to help you.
2: In fact, you can have the best playbook and it doesn't really matter if you don't are not aligned and have caught that wave.
1: Right. So let's presume for a moment that you've actually identified through your early Davy Crockett experimentation that you've identified the ICP you want to focus on. Let's say it's a you know a VP of IT and the urgent pain is something that's going on in that customer's world that's causing them to say, man, I need to do something about this. Then you say, all right, let's build our go to market playbook to do that. So at the front end stages are typically like some sort of stage about how do you, how does the customer find you and how do you find them? And those often become sort of leads or prospects. But the very first thing is how do they find you or you to find them. The second stage is typically around some sort of early engagement where either the customer's learning or you're teaching. Sometimes it can be sort of online discovery, watching videos, you're sending nurture emails, whatever it is so that the, the customer prospect is in a learning stage and then there's a stage which is more about engagement where uh they're really digging in the customer's looking at your product more seriously or you have a first meeting with a prospect and you know go through a presentation or a pitch with a prospect uh and then there's usually a customer gets serious stage where you know they're bringing other people involved and their boss is getting involved and you know, there's there's a level of seriousness that happens. And then maybe there's an evaluation or proof of concept stage where the customer's getting up to speed and then they're running a trial. And then there's some sort of executive decision stage where the customer's like basically saying, Hey, look, let's decide, or how do you get them to decide? You, you sort of get a feel for each one of these stages. And the key again is to sort of look at it through the customer's eyes, not through sort of the traditional stages that are really defined by like, what are your, what's your sales team doing? That's not the right way to think about it.
2: And one thing I found helpful is ideally is that the, the customer journey should not end with uh, just winning the deal or even having successful onboarding. But ideally, it'll be great if the customer journey can end with the, the customer, your champion actually becoming a hero within the organization. And the way I look at hero is, is that they get promoted to a, a better job. And uh, in particular, saw this uh, uh, at Marketo, where Marketo in the beginning was selling marketing automation, but uh, the champions, the users of Marketo that were really good at marketing automation were early leaders in demand generation. And next thing you know, companies were looking for heads of demand generation, and then they were looking for CMOs who were good at building pipeline or demand generation
0: and and Marketo is one of your example playbooks that's on the survival to Thrive website so we can see that quite clearly you make it sound so uh, easy to put together there must be a lot of challenges uh, a lot of stumbling blocks when putting it together can you walk us through what some of the common challenges are
1: so the first item is get your stages set or your go to market uh, customer journey the next part is underneath that on the whiteboards, remember, get the right people in the room, underneath the right board, is for each stage, identify what do people inside the company say or do at each stage? Or what is the customer doing at each stage? And this is harder than it sounds too, because you know often in the experimentation stage, there's so many things that people are trying And everybody's got a slightly different version of what to say or do and distilling that down to what are the three or four things that must happen uh, for the customer or must happen internally to be able to support that stage of the playbook. Put them down on the whiteboard, like those three, four, five bullets. And there'll be it might be a marketing message. It might be a specific action somebody does. It might be a specific piece of content that a customer engages with. It might be some sort of key capability that's identified. Whatever it is, it's the distillation of the three or four or five things that happen at each stage of the playbook. The last part of it is what's the exit criteria, which is what tells you that the customer is ready to move on to the next stage and go to market journey. Again, like being really crystal clear about that, allows you to say yes that customer is ready to move to the next stage and it's also really clarifying and helping people understand like what actually happens in that stage so getting the exit criteria nailed down with the three or four things is really the key second part of building the playbook and then after that it's about identifying your wows
2: you know it helps in the beginning um to not list not only things that uh, that seems to be working, but also just list the things that you tried and have are not working. I mean, ultimately they will be excluded from the go to market playbook. But it's good to just list all the different experiments you're running to figure out ultimately what is working.
1: Yeah, that's a great point because it's you know part of building the experimentation that builds the go to market playbook is like things that make deals go fast and things that make deals go slow or things that allow customers to think about a bigger opportunity or things that make it get really small. So identifying the things that don't work is often just as important as identifying the things that do work. And this, I think, then leads to the final part of building the go-to-market playbook. Somewhere in your playbook, there's usually two, maybe three things that you can identify as a wow. And this is a term that, Tehi and I use, but, um, the wows are, you know, like, and I think everybody out there that's tried to sell the customers and work them through their own go to market journey. Like when you meet with a prospect and you go through your story and there's something you say or show them and all of a sudden their body language changes and they kind of lean in and they're like, Oh, tell me more. That's a sign that it's a wow. But there's something about what you do or a pain you've identified or a problem you solve or a feature you have that causes the customer to go, hmm, I'm really interested. I want to lean in. I want to spend more time with you. And the side effect of that is effectively the customer moves to the next stage of your good to playbook.
2: Yeah, I just want to follow up on what Bob said there is um, the, the wow is something that is ultimately determined by the customer. It's not determined by like the CEO board or the uh, the product team. And the wow, I define the wow as something that causes potential customers to take a specific action, such as they like it so much, they want a colleague, they invite a colleague to see it, or they want to try it, or they bring in their boss. So when you show it, it uh, causes the customer to take a, a specific action, and most what you really want is to move to the next step of the customer journey.
1: Yeah, correct. And uh, there's there's actually an, an interesting inversion point of the wows, which are called the blockers. So uh, one of the things that sometimes happens, let's I'll go ahead and say it almost always happens, is as you're building your go-to-market playbook and identifying your wows. Which are repeatable ways that customers move forward. There are also blockers, which are what are those repeatable and frequent objections or issues that come up in a go to market playbook that cause a customer to stall. And being able to identify those is also super important so that you then learn where customers get stuck. And then to be able to have organized, consistent answers and tools to be able to address those blockers. For instance, it could be, hey, we have a budget issue. Or, hey, it could be, man, you know, you guys are a startup. Or it could be, you know, big company so-and-so says they're going to have this in two years. You know, whatever it is, just be able to identify those consistent two, three, or four blockers that typically get in your way. And have a really crisp, organized, mechanical way to knock those blockers out of the way.
2: You know, many times uh, the blocker for a startup is like a missing feature. And uh, the the answer is for them, the product team, to uh, escalate that and uh, come out with that feature very quickly.
0: So all the sales rep have to be very emotionally in tune with customers' reactions. Can we return a little bit to the challenges that some startups face when they're building the go to market playbook?
1: Maybe let's sort of deal with the challenges somewhat sequentially in terms of like as the playbook's being developed, like what are the sequence of challenges that frequently come up? The first one I've seen, and then Tay, you can sort of pipe in here. The first one I've seen is that in the beginning, what happens is the company's shifting from Davy Crockett experimentation mode into this repeatable go to market playbook mode. And everybody has a slightly different view of, you know, what was working during the experiment stage or what people say and do. This transition from lots of people trying lots of different things to here's the steps we do and this very smaller set of things that we do requires distillation. It requires convergence. It requires sacrifice. And it often feels like a fight where... Everybody's advocating for the three or four things that they think are the right answers. And it gets uncomfortable, but that's normal. It's actually this transition from experimentation to explicit that the distillation, convergence, and sacrifice is a tough trade-off. And it'll require some pretty heated discussion between the team. That's normal, Um, but it doesn't make it easy.
2: So Dave, uh, so Bob mentioned uh, the idea that in the beginning, you know, everyone is experimenting, but amongst the experimenters, there will be a Davy Crockett, one person who sort of figured it out. It's working and it's repeatable. And uh, the challenge that I see here is how to then take what that Davy Crockett is doing well and translate across the rest of the organization through a go-to-market playbook. And and so um, there's a sc- certain kind of steps, which is important, is first to see the kind of uh, slides, the presentations uh, Davy Crockett is using. Um, unfortunately, many times there's like a, a set of slides and the voiceover, which are different. And so it's about revising Davy Crockett's slides to really match the voiceover. So that it becomes uh, uh, something that then other people in the organization can use and try and then figure out what's missing. Because there's always something missing that Davey Crockett provides in the voiceover that's not in the slides. And so with that, then, you know, you get a very good slide deck, which uh, other people can have for repeatability as well, too. Then the next thing is uh, to take uh, what Davy Crockett is uh, saying in terms of uh, the the meetings, the, the the slides, and so forth, so that then marketing can automate that basically with uh, the website and other materials. So the idea is, you know, extract what's working for Davy Crockett replicate it with others to see what's missing and make that work. And then second, automate that with uh,
1: marketing so you can scale
2: it.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting challenge uh, that Tay just brought up, which is that you know, obviously in the early stages, almost all the good market playbook is typically manual. People doing stuff or having meetings or presentations or you know Zoom calls, whatever it is. And obviously you, know, you want to try and automate as much of this as possible. So one of the challenges I've seen is sort of, which parts do you automate in the beginning and which parts are manual and automation is magical you know if you can automate a lot of the front end stages of your playbook with videos or tutorials or online demos like it's spectacular but the trick is that's a lot of investment to automate these things and you got to make sure you're automating the right things in the right way so there's always um sometimes sort of a rush to automate everything before you know you're automating the right things So I've seen that as another challenge in playbooks. Um, The the third challenge I see is um, companies trying to build a single playbook to target multiple ICPs and multiple urgent pains. And effectively, what it turns into is chaos. Because a go-to-market playbook, particularly for an early stage company, you can really only target sort of one ICP and urgent pain. To really unlock growth if you're a later stage company with three four five million of ar you can start to add second playbooks but really for that first opportunity to unlock growth being able to find the one playbook that's pointed at the icp with the urgent pain that you can unlock growth really requires focus and the biggest mistake of playbooks is trying to point them at multiple icps and multiple urgent pains and you effectively end up with losing your repeatability. So it's that sort of ruthless sacrifice about picking the playbook that's pointed at the ICP and urgent pain that you believe is going to be the one that's going to unlock your sort of one to five or one, one to $10 million in ARR.
2: Yeah, I find that uh, uh, after agreeing on the the customer journey, the next big challenge in uh, building this pl- and, and identifying the wow and the blockers after those three, two, three things, the, the biggest challenge is, is getting a uh, cross-functional alignment, uh, across the teams because, uh, You've got sales, you've got marketing, you've got product and customer success. And it's like watching, it's like uh, the, the old story, uh, parable about the three blind men and the elephant. Each are touching different parts of the elephant and as a result have a very different perspective of what the customer and customer journey is. And so in order to get uh, uh, repeatability and get the playbook to work, you really need that cross-functional alignment. Um, best done with a CEO who drives it, but uh, to get that in place. For example, there could be key blockers which uh, sales brings up, but uh, they requires product to fix or for marketing to do. Or marketing is generating lots of leads, but uh, they're not the right leads that sales can follow up on. So getting this kind of alignment between these uh, uh, different functions turns out to be extremely difficult, whether it's a startup or in a, in a big company.
1: Yeah, and that's interesting because often it, each different function ends up focusing on sort of their own metrics. And part of that's natural. Actually, right. You know, sales teams have their metrics, marketing teams have their metrics, customer success teams have their metrics, product teams have their metrics, and that's normal. But the problem is, you end up like Tahi's point, you end up with sort of the, the blind man groping the elephant problem. And one of the really important exercises that happens as part of getting the team together to build the go to market playbook is you end up with a common view of the customer journey, the common view of the stages, and what are people doing. So, as a side effect of that, suddenly, The metrics start to converge in terms of it's less about what the sales team's metrics are and what the marketing team's metrics are and what the customer success team's metrics are. It's really about what the playbook metrics are. How many customers are in this stage of the playbook and are they moving to the next stage? And if so, why or what's holding them back? So, interestingly, the metrics that fall out of the go to market playbook end up being more converged metrics and more cross functional metrics that then drives and sort of works out some of this cross-functional alignment issues where, you know, historically, I think sort of teams naturally focus on their own metrics instead of focusing on their functional metrics.
2: So I can give you some examples of uh, where you have misalignment. You know, take sales, for example. Sales is obviously highly motivated to make their numbers, so they're clearly driven for bookings. Uh, So they want to maximize bookings. And in fact, if the VP of sales misses like two quarters of bookings, uh, many times they're fired. So they're highly motivated to make bookings and close deals. But in doing so, they could get the wrong type of customers that leads to a major churn problem uh, a year from now. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're hitting the bookings, but with the right kind of customers, so you don't have a customer success problem later on. Another example is, you know, marketing feeling great about generating a huge number of marketing qualified leads through inbound or others, but it doesn't fit uh, what sales is trying to close. So it's getting these silos to align, which is a, a problem.
1: There's some interesting sort of behavioral things that start to tell you you're on the right track. You know, when you get the playbook nailed down, if you add a new salesperson or add a new marketing person. The playbook becomes their roadmap to know what to do. Oh, I do this. I can find and win more customers. Or if you're a company that may be using channels to expand your go to market and find and win customers, that the go to market playbook becomes a recipe for your channels to be able to help find and win customers on their own. So once the playbook gets nailed down and becomes this not just unifying force internally for you, but for new people to come on board, which is particularly important now that a lot of sales and marketing teams are hiring people remotely and having to onboard them remotely. And for being able to onboard and train channels, the go-to market playbook becomes sort of the unifying force for that. And then over time, as companies get to sort of three, four, five million ARR, one of the really interesting challenges is, when do you then add your second go-to-market playbook, which would probably be an interesting topic for another podcast.
0: That certainly would be an interesting topic for another podcast. So before I let you go, I just wanna summarize what I understand from this. So creating your go-to-market playbook across the top, stages of the customer journey through the lens of the customer. Underneath that, what are the three things that they do at each stage of that journey? Pay particular attention to the wows and the blockers once you've got that nailed that's your foundation and then use your david crockett sales pioneer to find what works and what doesn't work and when you find what does work try and replicate that and eventually automate it got it i think taking Nam and bob tinker thanks so much Thanks for listening to the Survival to Thrival podcast with me, Helen Croydon, and co-authors Tehi Nam and Bob Tinker. This podcast is aimed at enterprise startup leaders. If there's someone you know who would find this podcast useful, please share it with them, subscribe, or leave a review. That's how others find us.